I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 295 of the podcast of the Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is Monday, September 21st, 2020, people. I hope everyone had a great weekend, and I can't lie. I feel like it was a great weekend for college football. Admittedly, the games weren't the biggest. They weren't the sexiest. They weren't Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Uh, But we have great news on the horizon in college football. We got a Big Ten schedule. We are starting to get clarity on what the Pac-12 could look like. And of course, as we enter Monday, it is officially game week in the SEC. So while we might not be telling our grandkids about Miami, Louisville, or Oklahoma State, Tulsa, it was a great weekend for college football. Quick rundown of what today's show is going to look like. I will lead off with some of the stuff that happened in the Big Ten over the weekend. Saturday, we got the official schedule from the Big Ten. I'll talk. I'll just let you know a couple highlights that you need to know down the road, kind of fill you in. Obviously, when I recorded last week, the last episode, we were at the point where we had just gotten the Big Ten announcement that they were coming back so we'll talk a little bit about the schedule and really what I think could be an interesting conversation down the road about the Big Ten as they get set to play an eight nine game schedule and how it's going to match up with the Clemsons and Alabamas and Notre Dames that have been playing since September what the conversation will be surrounding the playoff we will also talk a little bit about the Pac-12 what the latest is Pac-12 still a mess by the way in case you were worried don't you worry Pac-12 remains a mess we will talk a little bit about that Miami uh, Louisville game because we're already here oh Miami they're back they're the second best team in the ACC and get behind Clemson Let's all pump the brakes, talk a little bit about that Miami game. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Central Florida because I do believe uh, that they probably just don't get enough credit in the college football landscape. We will close with uh, some college football week four point spreads. The SEC point spreads are out, so I'll just give you some quick thoughts on that. And then after that... 
the return of the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Coffey. Uh, for people who are longtime listeners of this show, Nick Coffey, he's a radio host in Louisville, a good friend of mine. I used to go on his show all the time. He essentially used to be my co-host on this show. I can only get him every so often because he now hosts a Monday morning show, or he hosts a morning show in the city of Louisville from 7 to 10 Eastern. So his schedule and my schedule are completely off, but he will join me just to talk about the weekend that was in college football. Maybe, who knows, maybe a little bubble basketball, uh, but plenty to get to before I get to Nick Coffey. And then, of course, Nick Coffey joining me later. Before I get started, very briefly, I want to remind you, as always, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. You can do it on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the show again. Subscribing gets you the the episode sent straight to your phone. It helps me out. So please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. It really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Make sure that you're following on social media. Uh, I I don't know why I left there, but I was thinking about something else. Neither here nor there. Uh, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, Aaron Torres Pod is the new Instagram or the new Twitter page. So Aaron Torres Pod is what you want to follow there. Uh, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions. And again, I just want to reiterate something that I have said throughout the fall and throughout the summer. Just want to thank you again for your support. Another huge month of the Aaron Torres pod uh, as we hit the end of September and we're only going to keep rolling into October, which will bring us Big Ten football and maybe Pac-12 football. And then, of course, into November when we get college basketball. And it's a great time. I appreciate your support. And as I've said all along, If you like what I do, if you like the perspective that I bring, if you like the analysis that I bring, go ahead, tell friends, tell family, tell people that you think would like this show. We also have a couple big guests coming up later this week, Uh, but in the meantime, again, that's all the information you need about this show, and with that said, uh, let's get into it, people. There is no more time to waste, and I do want to start with what I said off the top. I just believe that this was a great weekend for college football. And I understand that if you're a junkie for the sport, the games themselves may not have felt, they didn't feel big because they aren't big, right? Oklahoma State Tulsa is not big. Uh, 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 you know, UCF, Georgia Tech, no disrespect to either of those programs. It's not one, as I said off the top, we're going to be telling our grandchildren about. Even Miami, Louisville, on a normal Saturday, it might be on that second or third TV screen. No disrespect to either of those programs, but when you got Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, whoever playing on a normal college football Saturday, it, it doesn't feel as big, but we have gotten through the dry desert of college football Uh, You know, we were parched for real college football, and we have gotten there because the reason this weekend felt big was for a number of reasons. One, like I said, it was the last weekend without SEC football. We'll talk about some of those week one games coming up. Uh, We also uh, will talk a little bit about the Pac-12, but to me, the biggest story coming out of college football and the reason that it feels so freaking big and so freaking good 
is that we finally got some clarity and some clarification on the Big Ten, and we got to talk about actual Big Ten games. And you guys know, and I appreciate you sitting with me and sticking with me through this whole drama of the Big Ten over the last four, five, six weeks, because I understand at some point, there's only so many times I can say, uh, Kevin Warren's an idiot, the Big Ten screwed this up, and we got to get football back. And so I appreciate you sticking with me, and it felt so good to actually see those games come across the screen, to actually get clarity on what the season will look like. And that happened on Saturday morning when we did officially get that Big Ten schedule. For people who did not listen to last episode, for people who may not remember, the Big Ten schedule is going to look a lot different, okay? Uh, It's going to start October 23rd. It's going to be eight games in eight weeks, culminating in what the Big Ten is calling, uh, I guess it's Championship Week or Championship Saturday or something to that effect, where on December 19th, the final Saturday of college football, not only will we get the SEC Championship, the ACC Championship, and the Big Ten Championship, but the Big Ten is also going to have everyone else play on that final Saturday of the regu- of the season. So say Michigan finishes second place in the Big Ten East, they will play the second place finisher of the Big Ten West, and so on and so forth and so on and so forth down the line. So a great day for the Big Ten. Um, and we'll get into some of the decisions on what they actually decided to do. But again, that's what you need to know. Nine games in nine weeks. Wish they had come back a little bit earlier. Wish they had put a little bit more wiggle room into that schedule. But after weeks and weeks and weeks of complaining about what was going on in Big Ten football, I want to give them credit. They are back and we got a schedule. So what do you need to know about the schedule? Let's get into the schedule. Week one, October 23rd. And two games do jump out to me. The first one is it will be the first chance, obviously, to see Ohio State play. They will open against Nebraska, uh, and, and it'll probably be a bloodbath. I'm not going to lie. We got some new Cornhuskers fans that listen to this show over the last two, three, four weeks. Don't mean to be disrespectful. Hope I'm not offending you. Ohio State's probably going to kick your butt. Though. And the thing with Nebraska that was really funny was if you remember – Nebraska was really the team that probably more than anyone else in the Big Ten fought that wasn't afraid to fight the Big Ten publicly. If you remember, even from the beginning, Scott Frost going after the Big Ten saying, we're going to try to figure out a way to play if the Big Ten won't let us play. Obviously, he was shot down by the Big Ten office, but then his players protested, his players sued the league, there were parents uh, protesting in the streets in Lincoln. And so I don't know if the Big Ten did this on purpose or not, but the thing that stood out to me week one is Nebraska. Oh, you want to fight the Big Ten office? We're going to send you to Columbus in week one against the Ohio State Buckeyes, who frankly might be right up there with Clemson and Alabama as the most talented team in college football. Frankly, maybe they just are the most talented team. Maybe they're not up there. Maybe they just are. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, and if it, if you think that's bad, it does not get any easier for Nebraska, which then in week two goes to uh, plays Wisconsin at home. Wisconsin's probably the best team in the Big Ten West, that is the division without Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and then in week four, they play Penn State. So that is welcome to welcome back to Big Ten football, Nebraska, who gets at Ohio State. Wisconsin and Penn State in the first four weeks of the season. Uh, Yeah, shout out to Nebraska, shout out to Scott Frost. Good luck, you will need it. The other big thing that stood out from week one, a sneaky, fun, interesting matchup 
between Michigan and Minnesota. This game will also be October 23rd. And I know what you're probably thinking. AT, like, Minnesota? Like, are you serious? What are you talking about, Minnesota? What do you mean, Minnesota? Well, if you remember... Minnesota was really good last year. If you remember, P.J. Fleck has been at Minnesota for three years now. Uh, he's a, a guy that was kind of a national punching bag, and you know he does things differently and row the boat, and he's got all these phrases. He was at Western Michigan. Well, the dude is the real deal. And if you remember back to last season, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, your Minnesota Golden Gophers, who basically have no college football history to speak of in any of our lifetimes. They were great in the 19-teens, if any of you were alive to, to remember those days. If you are, shout out to you, because you're like 115 years old and you know how to download podcasts. You also have great taste in podcasts, but I'm just impressed that at 110 years old, you know how to download podcasts. But Minnesota last year, for people who have forgotten an unbelievable season, a historic season. They finish 11-2 overall. They beat Penn State when Penn State was ranked in the top five. At one point, I think Minnesota was like in the top five of the college football playoffs because they were undefeated. And then they end the season by beating Auburn in the Outback Bowl. So Minnesota, really good team, 11 wins last year. I, I believe if the math is correct, it was just the second time since 1905 that they have won 10 plus games. They get M Michigan at home in week one. And that'll be really interesting for all the obvious reasons that you know, mainly that, um, you know, if Jim Harbaugh loses that game, it's going to immediately be, here we go again with Jim Harbaugh, can't get it done, talks the talk, can't back it up. And I think whenever point spreads come out for those games, I do think Michigan might actually be a slight underdog going into that game based on the fact that both of those teams uh, return a, a fair amount from last year, but not a ton. Michigan loses their starting quarterback and a bunch of really talented players, especially along the offensive line. I think Minnesota might be a slight favorite in that one. And if Michigan loses... Oh my goodness. So those are kind of the big takeaways from week one. Week two, credit to the Big Ten. See, see, listen, this is what you love about AT. This is what you love about AT. I'm willing, I crushed the Big Ten for five straight weeks, but I'm willing to give them credit. They put an interesting couple games in week one. Week two, we get Ohio State at Penn State. Now, admittedly, that'd normally be a whiteout game. There will be no fans in the stands, but the Big Ten's wasting no time. They are jumping two feet in, and we get Ohio State at Penn State in week two. Uh, so it'll be a great couple weeks to start the Big Ten season. In the bigger picture, I think there's a couple interesting things that are worth noting. Um, one, the disparity in the schedule. So here's what you need to know. When you only play eight conference games, what that means is, for people who do not know, the Big Ten is, uh, there's two divisions, the East and the West, seven teams in each division, so you play all six of your divisional opponents, plus you play two teams from the other division. And so why that's interesting is because there, is, there are going to be certainly imbalanced schedules within the conference. I mentioned Nebraska. They will have their normal Big Ten West schedule, which includes 
Nebraska, Nebraska would be playing Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, but they also get Ohio State and Penn State, who might be the two best teams from the East. So you can argue that Nebraska probably, without a doubt, has the toughest schedule from the Western portion. And then from the Eastern portion, Michigan gets both Wisconsin and Minnesota, which are the two best teams from the other division on top of Penn State, Ohio State, and all the good teams that they normally play. So those are two things to watch. Ohio State has it pretty easy. They get Nebraska at home, which probably is still a year or two away from being relevant. They also get Illinois, the Fighting Lovey Smiths, who they should roll. And Wisconsin has it pretty easy, too. They don't play Ohio State or Penn State. So if I was handicapping the Big Ten race a month before the season starts, I would say we're probably going to get an Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup in the Big Ten championship game. Really quickly, I do want to talk about a couple more topics that have come up relative to the Big Ten, which I do find interesting. The first thing is players attempting to opt back into the season. It is just a narrative to watch. Last week, uh, Ohio State had two players who had opted out. My understanding is that neither player signed with an agent, neither player stopped going to class, and so because of it, they were they were able to get those guys back into the program. Wyatt Davis, an offensive tackle, Sean Wade, a cornerback, both projected first-round picks this coming season. So you talk about something that could really change the entire landscape of college football. Ryan Day seems confident that those guys will be able to come back. But then across the rest of the landscape, it's really interesting to kind of see what is going to happen other places because there were guys that opted out way back in early August when it became clear that the Big Ten did not plan on playing the season. And so I think that is going to be an interesting storyline to follow. Minnesota has a first-round caliber wide receiver named Rashad Bateman who opted out back in August, and P.J. Flex said he wants to come back and play. Has he been gone too long? Has he been enrolled in class? Did he sign with an agent? Now, according to multiple people that both I've talked to as well as just reading articles and reading up on this stuff, it appears as though there is like a special clause in the NCAA rulebook that says that essentially for extenuating circumstances that players can... um, regain eligibility after they leave college, but it has to be extenuating. I would think this is about as extenuating as it gets. And so because of it, uh, so because of it, because of it, I would think that the NCA would at least consider allowing the players to play, but I do think it is going to be a case-by-case basis. I don't think it's definitive. I don't think we can just sit here on a, a Sunday in May, uh, in September, uh, a Monday in September, and say definitively that Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver at Michigan, will be allowed back, or that other play or wide receiver from Minnesota will be allowed back. Michigan also has a couple players who opted out early who appear to be trying to opt back in as well. That is one housekeeping note from the Big Ten. I think the other one that is worth monitoring, and I did touch on this a little bit on the last episode, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the college football playoff committee handles all these teams with all these different schedules and what it all means for the college football playoff picture as a whole. Now, for people who do not know this, Understand, obviously, the college football playoff comes. There is no committee, or there, there is a committee, but there are no minimum game standards. So, for example, if an SEC team plays 11 games, if an ACC team plays 
11 games, and a Big Ten team only plays nine games or maybe eight games if a game, if a game gets canceled, there's nothing keeping uh, the seven-win seven or eight-win Big Ten team out, but it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And so I do think that this will be one of the more interesting storylines to follow throughout college football season is how do we handle this college football playoff? And I don't think right now, as I record here on September 21st into or September 20th into September 21st, I don't think that there is an obvious, easy answer to this, right? And there's sometimes, and we've talked about this on all sorts of shows in the past, there are sometimes where I come on and I have a strong opinion and I, this is how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. And there are other times where I just say, frankly, guys, girls, I don't really know. And I think this is one of those cases because not only do I not know what's going to happen, I don't think the people that are actually on the college football playoff selection committee knows what's going to happen. What will it look like when an Ohio State is taking the field for the first time when Notre Dame and Clemson essentially have half of their schedule already in the books? Same with Alabama or LSU or Florida or Georgia that's going to have three, four, five games in the books before Ohio State even takes the field for the first time. And so I think it's something interesting to follow. I also think it goes back to what I was talking about off the top with the Big Ten schedule where I really do wish, I know, listen, to backtrack, I don't want to keep crushing the Big Ten, but sometimes like I do think that even when they re-put this schedule back together, I do think they really try to outthink the room and prove they're smarter than everybody and prove they care more than everybody, which is what they did five weeks ago when they canceled the season in the first place. But it feels like they did it again in putting together this schedule. And last episode, I probably did not do a good enough job explaining this, but the Big Ten has basically backed themselves into a corner where they are going to hope and pray that daily testing works and that daily testing limits or eliminates is probably the right way to put it, big outbreaks on these teams. Because if you look at what the Big Ten's protocols are, here are the Big Ten's protocols. If you test positive, you will not be able to play for 21 days. Yes, you read that. You heard that correctly. If you test positive, you will not be able to play for 21 days, which means if Justin Fields tests positive on a a Friday, we're talking about potentially three missed games for Justin Fields, which of course is a third of the season. Same with the backup offensive tackle at Northwestern or the kicker at Illinois. It is an insane protocol that seems insanely tough to follow. And if we've learned anything early in this season, it is that positive tests are going to happen. We have had games canceled over the last two, three, four weeks. We had Baylor-Houston canceled a week after it came together. We had BYU-Army canceled this weekend in what would have been maybe the game of the weekend. And it was really disappointing, but it's really the reality of where we are in college football right now. The reality is we have student athletes who are on campus with other students. Many of these students go to class every day, interact with other students. And even if you're taking all the proper protocols, it's impossible to limit how much exposure that you can have to the outside world. And so with that, I bring all this up as it pertains to the Big Ten, because the Big Ten really has backed themselves in a corner. They have backed themselves in a corner where the testing protocols are insane, 
and they're playing eight games in eight weeks, zero buys, right into that conference championship game in week nine. And I do worry that it's going to screw things up for the Big Ten, that it's going to cost them potentially a playoff berth. But I do believe that at the very least, at the very least, I do think what's going to be interesting is to see how it affects the playoff conversation. Will it impact a playoff berth? I don't know. But I do think it will impact the playoff conversation because just think about it from the perspective that I just said. Remember, I just said a minute ago that they're playing eight games in eight weeks with a ninth game on that last weekend. But even before the Big Ten kicks off, ACC ACC teams are going to have five games under their belts. The SEC is going to have three or four games under their belts going into that weekend. And so when I look at the situation in the Big Ten, it leaves the league essentially zero room for error, right? And everyone praised the Big Ten and, oh, they took their time and they made sure they got it right and they they waited for rapid testing. Well, dude, it only takes one team to screw this whole thing up. Because what you got to remember is it's not only the best teams that are going to be impacted, but all the teams, right? Even if Ohio State does everything right, what if they're supposed to play Illinois or Rutgers or Penn State and Penn State has a bunch of positive tests and they can't play? Now all of a sudden Ohio State's down to seven games with an eighth game for a conference championship. What happens if they lose a game somewhere along the way? What happens to that conversation? Are we talking about a 7-1 Ohio State team, a 6-1 Ohio State team? And how are we comparing it to the rest of college football? Are we going to punish a team like, say, Notre Dame, which is probably the second best team in the ACC? Are we going to punish that team that's been on the field since the first weekend in September and not let them in the playoff if, say, Notre Dame's 9-2? How do you compare a 9-2 Notre Dame or a 9-2 Georgia? Or, heck, how about a 10-1 Georgia with an 8-0 Ohio State? And so I do think because of the buzz they have and because of their potential once they take the field – I do believe Ohio State will have the benefit of the doubt. But again, one, I think they're going to have to win all their games because of the fact that they are so far behind the eight ball. And then two, on top of that, they better make sure they get all their games in. They better really hope that Rutgers and Maryland and and Michigan and Michigan State and all these teams do what they're supposed to do so that Ohio State can get the requisite games to get in a potential playoff situation. It's the same with Michigan. It's the same with Penn State, the same with Wisconsin, Minnesota. Whoever thinks they can get in that college football playoff conversation, they better hope all their opponents, not only that they take care of the situation, but that their opponents take care of what they're supposed to do at their facilities, on their campuses. Because like I said, I'm just telling you right now, it is going to be the single biggest, most fascinating conversation come playoff time. What do you do with a 7-1 or a 7-0 or an 8-0 Ohio State team versus a Georgia team that's maybe 10-1 in the SEC or a Florida team that went 10-1? It's just going to be fascinating. It is going to be interesting. The Big Ten did themselves no favors, but I will give them credit. We got the schedule, and I am obviously, you can hear it in my voice, I am fired up for what is ahead in Big Ten play. Really quickly, uh, (laughs) I do want to give you a quick update on the ugly stepchild of college football, Power 5, and that is, of course, uh, your Pac-12 teams. And I live in Pac-12 country, 
and I want to defend the Pac-12, and I want to do everything I can to make the world know that there are good people on these coaching staffs, these kids care, the administrators care, the parents care, but the league certainly does them no favors. And so the Pac-12 has basically been a chip off the block of the Big Ten during this entire process, and they're basically taking it to another level right now because they're essentially following the same blueprint as the Big Ten which is they realize they've screwed up. In their case, they've screwed up even worse. Because at least the Big Ten, if they fell back to the the late fall or early spring, if they fell back to January, at least the Big Ten had the Pac-12 by their side. They're like, it's like a bad buddy cop movie. We got Kevin Warren and Larry Scott from the Pac-12 uh, trying to solve crimes uh, uh, not very successfully. Just like that joke was not very successful. That's the Kevin Warren, Larry Scott buddy cop movie. But the Pac-12 is in an even worse situation than the Big Ten because at least the Big Ten had the Pac-12 alongside them. Well, now the Big Ten's playing October 23rd, and now the Pac-12 is in complete scramble mode to get this season off the ground, to get going, and to get games in soon because they can't wait. They can't wait till November. They can't wait till December. They can't wait till January and play in the spring. It is going to be JV football after the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 have spent all fall playing. So the Pac-12 is in scramble mode. They, they followed the Big Ten's lead, and now they're following the Big Ten's lead in trying to get football back on the field and dragging their feet. They essentially have no time. They are essentially significantly behind the eight ball. They're in even worse shape than the Big Ten was a week or two ago because many of their teams are not on campus, and now they're just completely doing everything they can, but they're not doing it fast enough. And again, I, I don't want to just come on this show and criticize, 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 but... The Big Ten took too long to get back, and now the Pac-12's in the same boat. They had a meeting Friday, all my sources in the Pac-12. I know people all over LA. I know people at the Arizona schools, the Oregon schools. Everyone had an understanding that some decision would be made coming out of Friday's meeting about Pac-12 football, because you also got to remember, we're now getting to the point where the Pac-12's kind of got to start figuring out the winter sports too, like men's and women's basketball, like all the, all the winter sports, I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. So the Pac-12 has a meeting Friday, and what comes out of it? No decision. Sound familiar? Sounds like the Big Ten. How about this for a kicker? Not only was there no decision, they're not meeting again until this coming Thursday. And I am just telling you right now, it is driving people in Pac-12 country crazy right now. Why do we have to wait till Thursday to get a decision? You met Friday. We have this new daily testing. We got to get going on this season. You said you were waiting for daily testing. Well, we got it. Let's get going so we can get games in. And so the latest report, and there are many, is that coming out of this weekend, the reality is the Pac-12 could start on Halloween weekend, which is the weekend after the Big 12, but now they might not start with all their teams. Um, and it's for all the reasons that we've talked about. It's because some of the teams aren't on campus. It's because some of them couldn't get into their facility until last week. I can tell you the LA schools just got into their facilities last week. I was talking to somebody at USC Basketball who told me it was the first time they practiced in a gym since the players have gotten back. I mean, keep in mind, uh, you know, Arkansas and Texas Tech and Kentucky and all those schools in basketball have had their players back since late June, early July. 
Uh, and USC just got into the gym last week. So there's frustration, and the latest is that it might be able to kick off on October 31st, Halloween weekend, but that it might not include everybody. And it might not include everybody for the reasons that I said. I heard most recently that UCLA might not be ready to go as they get into scramble mode in year three, the Chip Kelly era. And then how about this for a kicker? We're talking Stanford might not play at all. <laughs> that was the latest report on Sunday, is that Stanford might not play at all. And the reason is, very simply, that the that Stanford... Um, I guess the administration there, they don't have students on campus, and the administration says, we don't believe, they're doing the Big Ten holier-than-thou spiel. It's like, well, we just feel like, um, you know, that, that if we can't have the regular student body on campus, then we shouldn't be playing intercollegiate athletics. And that was a terrible um, accent. But it proves the point that I'm trying to make, which is that Stanford uh, is trying to pull the Big Ten more smarter than you stance. And in their case, they might actually be. But the latest is that Stanford might not play at all because their administration doesn't like the idea of playing sports when there aren't other students on campus. And so the Pac-12, essentially, if I can just put a, a little bow on this, the Pac-12 remains a mess. Met on Friday, not going to meet again until Thursday. UCLA won't be ready for opening weekend. Stanford might not play at all, but the latest is we might get October 31st. However, if there's one thing that I've learned in this entire process, it's that when these schools decide that they're going to meet and take their time, it never ends up going on time. We had heard October 10th for the Big Ten. We heard October 17th for the Big Ten, and we ended up with October 23rd. So I'm not sold that it is going to be Halloween weekend for the Pac-12, but that is the latest they are a complete cluster. All right, let's very quickly get into some of the games from the weekend. And again, I get it. The big marquee brands are not yet on the field. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I understand that for the casual fan, it's, it's just hard to get fired up for Tulsa, Oklahoma, and for uh, even Georgia Tech, Central Florida, which we'll talk, to Central, about, we'll talk about Central Florida in a minute. I get it. What I can tell you, I promise you, it will get better. We have SEC teams. I do believe that adding Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn, Texas A&M, adding all those teams on a Saturday with Clemson, with Notre Dame, with Oklahoma and Texas taking the field next week, I do think it is going to help the college football landscape. But Let's talk briefly about the one game that did matter, that was relevant. It was the only ranking of top 25 teams that played each other on Saturday, and that was Louisville-Miami. And I will tell you, by the way, I just got a, uh, I just got a text from Nick Coffey. Nick Coffey will not be joining me today, so I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo to the end of the show. We will get Nick back on this show at some point. Uh, but in the meantime, let's talk about the game that Nick was at, Louisville-Miami, and I promise we will get Nick back soon. But Louisville-Miami, um, look, fun game, entertaining game. I don't believe it was some national championship preview or was any reason to get super excited. But naturally, look, it was the biggest game. Miami looked great. And so you know what was going to come next. I tweeted about it in the first quarter, and it ended up becoming true. Miami dominates. They win 47-34. If you watch the game, it was never really that close. If you watch the game, Miami made big play after big play. They were up by 20 going into the fourth uh, and basically had a double-digit lead throughout the fourth quarter. Louisville scores a touchdown with two minutes to go to make it respectable, but Miami was up by nearly three touchdowns with four minutes to go. They dominated. 
and so it was a nice win for Miami. But you know that's not what people are going to talk about coming out of this game. What people are going to talk about is what they always talk about whenever Miami has a big win, which is, is the U back? Oh, my goodness. We're doing this again. I saw it on Twitter. I'm telling you right now, is Miami back? Is the U back after their dominating win over Louisville? And all I got to say is, can we please, 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 please stop with the is Miami back? Is the U back? Uh, Because no, they're not. And it's funny, right? Because college football, I think more than any other sport, we do this. Is this team back? Is Texas back? Is USC back? Is Miami back? Is Florida State back? It's like generally, no, they're not. And I think Miami, you know, it's funny, right? Like before we even get to Miami, like I've seen this living in LA for almost a decade now. I moved to LA in 2012. It was Lane Kiffin's, I believe, his third year. His second year, they went 10 and 2. They were not eligible for the postseason because of NCAA sanctions from the previous Pete Carroll regime. And Lane Kiffin and USC went 10 and 2. And that year it was immediately, oh, USC's back. They're incredible. Well, they went 6 and 6, and they were terrible. Then Lane Kiffin eventually leaves, and then Steve Sarkeesian comes in. Steve Sarkeesian comes back year one, goes nine and four, and I kid you not, I was at Pac-12 Media Day, and I had somebody ask, or somebody in the media asked, oh, does this feel like the 2000s when you were here with Pete Carroll? It's like, because of one nine-win season? What are you talking about? And it was the same with USC a few years ago when they went to the Rose Bowl and beat Penn State. I live in LA, and I'm telling you, every time USC wins three straight games, it's, is USC back? And it's the same with Miami. Look, I love Miami. When I first became a huge college football fan in the early 2000s, they were essentially what Alabama is right now, only with swagger, okay? Miami was the most fun, dynamic, awesome team in college football. Ed Reed, Jeremy Shockey, Clinton Portis, uh, Frank Gore, Ken Dorsey, on and on and on and on and on. So I love Miami. I want them to be back. I think it'd be great if they'd be back. But can we pump the brakes after one win against a bad Louisville team? I mean, seriously. Louisville ranked 102nd in the country in defense last year, in total defense. 102nd in the country. Out of 130 teams, Louisville was 102nd, okay? The only reason that Louisville is ranked, and this is no disrespect, I think Scott Satterfield's a good coach, they're only ranked because there's no Big Ten teams or Pac-12 teams to rank. If the Big Ten had teams in college football, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, they'd all be ranked. Louisville is a really good team, but they just went 10-2 and two, two years ago. That's why Scott, Scott, Scott Satterfield is here in the first place. It's because they were terrible under Bobby Petrino. They got rid of, Scott, they got rid of him. They brought in Scott Satterfield, and to him, he was, and to his credit, he was awesome in year one. He completely turned around the program. He had one of the best seasons of any first-year head coach last year at Louisville. He took them to a bowl game. They won eight games, but they're not Clemson. They're not LSU. They're not Ohio State. They're not even Penn State. They're not even Wisconsin. There's no disrespect to Louisville. I'm not taking a shot at Louisville. But this team was 102nd in college football last year. Miami beats them up. And all of a sudden, we're talking about, is is Miami back? Well, they have a quarterback. And, like, I will give them credit. They do look a lot better than they have in previous years. But don't we do this every single time Miami wins a big game? You want some crazy stats on Miami? You want to know why I don't believe that Miami is back after one game? It's because I've been through this cycle 25 times in the last 15 years, okay? Like, I looked it up just to make sure that I wasn't going crazy. 
Miami has won 10 games one time since 2003. Okay, does that sound like a program that is on the verge of competing with Clemson and, and Alabama and LSU? One 10-win season in 15 years. The last time they ranked in the top 10 to finish the season was 2003, 17 years ago. We now have high school kids that are going into their sophomore, junior, senior year who weren't alive the last time that Miami ranked in the top 10 to finish the season. And so we go through this cycle every year. We go through it all the time. I can't tell you the number of times. A few years ago when Mark Richt was there, oh my God, Miami's back. Then they got smoked the last two games of the season. They got crushed by Clemson in the ACC championship game. They lost to Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. And no, they weren't back. And then the next year, oh, Mark Rick, they're back. And they get crushed by LSU and Mark Rick retires. Before that, I can go through a million different examples. They had Ja'Cory Harris one year who was good for three games. And oh, Miami's back. And so just forgive me for not being that excited about a team that just beat up a Louisville team that, oh, by the way, they, they, they destroyed Louisville last year, too. That's probably worth mentioning. They actually beat Louisville worse last year than they did this year. This year, they lose 47-34 by 13 points. They won 52-27 last year. They crushed Louisville last year. And then guess what? They finished 6-7. and seven. They lost to Florida International. And they lost to Louisiana Tech in a bowl game, okay? And so for Miami to be back, I'm sorry, but I want them to have more than one win against Louisville before I de declare that they're back, okay? I want them to have a better performance than giving up 34 points to Louisville before I declare them back. I want them to maybe, I don't know, compete with Clemson, prove that they're like half of Clemson, compete with Notre Dame. I know they beat Notre Dame a few years ago. Notre Dame's a really good football team the last two or three years. And so like, I, I like the Miami story. I want them to be good, but it's just amazing. Like We do this in college football. We did it with Texas. We did it with USC. We do it with Nebraska when they go on a four-game winning streak. And like, I like Miami. I think they're interesting. I think they're fun. I hope they're good. But this is a team, again, they haven't finished in the top 10 in 17 years. They haven't won 10 games. They've won 10 games one time in 17 years. And I, I forgive me if I just can't get excited about it, and forgive me if I don't think because of one game that they're ready to compete with Clemson and Alabama and LSU. Fun story. I'm not buying Miami. I'm sorry. All right, last little topic before we get out of here. I do very briefly want to give a little credit to Central Florida, okay? Miami is the totally overhyped. Every year we get so excited, and then they lose two or three games, and then we realize that they're still Miami. But then Central Florida is the exact opposite. And, you know, I don't have a ton of takes on Central Florida, but let me just say this. Uh, Central Florida gets a lot of crap because of a lot of the social media stuff that they've done the last two, three, four years, right? 2017, they go 13-0. and They beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. And they claim themselves national champions. And, like, I, I thought it was funny. I had no problem with it. I get it. They were the only undefeated team in college football. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correct, they beat Auburn, who beat Alabama, who won the national championship. And they said, well, okay, if we beat Auburn and Auburn beat Alabama and you're telling us Alabama's the national championship, then just call us a national championship. And like, it was quirky. It was different. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, they shouldn't be like criticized for it. But I also, as I was watching them on Saturday, I was like, man, we just don't give this team enough credit, right? Like I was thinking about it as it pertains to Central Florida is like, I know that we want to make fun of them, but I don't think outside of the, the true powers in the sport right now, Clemson, Alabama, 
Oklahoma, Georgia. There's, there hasn't been a more consistent team in college football these last couple years than Central Florida. And I'm not saying they're better than Clemson. I'm not saying they can compete with Alabama. They can beat Oklahoma, although the way Oklahoma's played in some big games, maybe they could. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they're better than Ohio State. But what I am saying is I just want to give them credit, right? Because I'm watching them against that Georgia Tech team on Saturday. And I don't think Georgia Tech's great. But Georgia Tech just had a big, nice opening weekend win at Florida State. Big win for Georgia Tech. Nice win. And what does Central Florida do? They come in, they play Georgia Tech on the road, and they smoke them. They won 49 to 26, 49 to 21, excuse me, dominated them. How about this? 660 yards of total offense for Central Florida against Georgia Tech. And I know Georgia Tech's not Clemson. I know they're not Penn State, Michigan, whatever. But it's like, I just want to give Central Florida a little bit of credit. Because one, at this point, it's been long enough where they do deserve credit. They went 13-0 in 2017. They went 12-1 in 13-1 in 2018. 12-1. Uh, I don't know why I'm tripping over my own words. 13-0 in 2017. 12-1 in 2018. Their only loss was to LSU in the Fiesta Bowl. Last year, they go 10-3, but their three losses were by a combined seven points. And so when I look at Central Florida... This is a team that is probably outside of those two, three, four power programs, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, one of the most consistent teams in college football. They've now done it over multiple coaching staffs. Remember, Scott Frost, who's now at Nebraska, he was there early on. Now they have Josh Heupel. They've done it with multiple quarterbacks. They had the kid Mackenzie Milton, who unfortunately suffered a major injury. Dylan Gabriel, the kid now has come in. He has been awesome. That is a kid that I think is going to be in the Heisman conversation this year in a year where it's going to be so fractured. He's just going to put up a million stats and a million yards and a million points. And I just want to give Central Florida credit because to me, I just feel like everyone's always trying to tear them down, but they've been insanely consistent and they do the one thing that I respect the hell out of when it comes to college football and sports in general. They are the biggest game on all their team schedules. They get everybody's best shot, and they still deliver week in and week out. And it's funny, right? Because I have this argument about Gonzaga basketball every year. And I think Gonzaga is a little bit different because they do have a team good enough to win the national championship every year in basketball. But I get in the argument every year. Oh, my God. They But who do they play? It's like, well, they get to the tournament. They get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four every year. Like, what do you want from me? They're a good program. They're a great program. It's the same with Central Florida. They get everybody's best shot every single night, and they mostly deliver. Now, do they play the schedule of everybody else? Of course not. But the mark of a great team, the mark of a great program, can you maintain consistency over an extended period of time? And we're now going on three straight years with 10-plus wins, two undefeated regular seasons, and a season last year where they lost three games by a combined touchdown, which basically means they were three or four plays away from essentially being undefeated or a one-loss team. And so when I look at them, what I respect is the consistency. I respect how they do it week in and week out, how they get everybody's best shot, and they still deliver. They played a Georgia Tech team that largely dominated Florida State last week in Tallahassee, and they come back and dominate them instead. All right, last little thing, and I do want to make this quick, but <laughs> SEC football point spreads uh, came out on, on Sunday afternoon right before I recorded and so I want to just talk about them really quick. We got opening point spreads. Georgia's a 25-point favorite at, all, uh, at Arkansas, excuse me. Alabama's a 22-point favorite at Missouri. Florida's a 14-point favorite at Ole Miss. 
Tennessee is a three-point favorite at South Carolina. Auburn is a 10-point favorite at home against Kentucky. Mississippi State, 16-point underdog. So LSU, a 16-point favorite against Mississippi State. And Vanderbilt, 32-point underdog at Texas A&M. Um, what I would just tell you is really quick, I don't have like a ton of super hot takes on these, but what I would say if I'm looking at this off the top of my head, first of all, the game that I like the most is Alabama. Alabama, I think it's already up to like, I, the, the, the point spreads came out about noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. I'm recording here about 8 o'clock at night Eastern time. I think Alabama's already up to like 26, 27. Um, they're, going to they're going to destroy Missouri, okay? Because you have to remember, Alabama is coming off an offseason with a chip on their shoulder with a point to prove. Their offense was already good. Their defense should be much improved from last year. Missouri has a first-year head coach. And Missouri has missed a bunch of time recently with COVID, with COVID situation. And so when I look at Alabama, chip on their shoulder, they had to wait an extra three weeks to kick off the season. They are going to be like ravenous, bloodthirsty animals in the wild, ready for blood when they take Missouri. So I would, if you can legally gamble or if you can't, by the way, you can always go to my bookie promo code Torres if you want to gamble, but Alabama, wherever you gamble, I'm just telling you, they're, they're going to destroy Missouri. I think it's at least 35 points. I think it might even be more. Um, the Georgia game, off the top of my head, at least for now, feels like a stay away. Arkansas is going to play hard under Sam Pittman. Georgia, we don't even know who their quarterback is yet. New offensive coordinator, that could be one of two things. One, they could really struggle. Two, they could be out to prove a point that the offense is more dynamic than last year. Uh, Florida will miss. Off the top of my head, don't have a real strong lean on that one. I'm not buying Lane Kiffin in year one. I respect the heck out of him. I think he's a good football coach, but he does not have personnel to do what he wants to do. I would probably lean Florida there. Kentucky at Auburn, I know it's a hot uh, you know, hot topic in the Kentucky community. I do think 10 points is too much. Kentucky's defense is legit. Auburn's defense is not quite as good as it was last year. I think Kentucky at the very least keeps it close. They could be on upset alert. Uh, and one game, the other one I like, I, I think Mississippi State makes things interesting at LSU. Love Coach O, love what he's done. But when you look at Mississippi State having to prepare for Mike Leach, like it's impossible. Mike Leach just does Mike Leach things. He does what he does. You'd, he doesn't alter his game plan to what you're doing. He just comes out and executes his stuff. If you've never seen it before, I could see the scenario where LSU is struggling, breaking in a new quarterback, the best wide receiver is gone. I would probably lead Mississippi State there. And Vandy uh, A&M, I would just stay away from. Just way, way, way too many points to, to, to bet either side of it. All right. I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, again, bummer about no Nick Coffey. He will join me at some point soon, and I promise you, We'll have a couple of really good guests for later this week. Uh, Ryan McGee from ESPN will join me. I don't know if it's Tuesday or Thursday show, but Ryan McGee will join me. Potentially another really fun guest for later in the week as well. Uh, but that's all for today's show. I want to thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, please make sure to do so iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Uh, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Uh, like so many of you have already, I truly appreciate it. Also, the social media pages, Aaron Torres Pod on, on Twitter, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. 
Uh, we'll get Nick Coffee on sometime, but more guests coming up in the coming days. But I appreciate your support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Tuesday with our third, you know, our bonus episode. Not our third episode. Our third episode will be Thursday. Bonus episode Tuesday. I will be back. Thank you guys very much. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.